We're going to do something different this morning. Um, most of you know that this last month was our, our missions focus month, and this week in particular, last week, uh, Wednesday, we took a night, and um, a good number of people from Parkway uh, showed up to, to hear um, Josh Drake, um, who came through this ministry and is now was ministering in China and um, most recently in, in Thailand. And he's a, he's a really sharp person. And, um, and more than that, he has a real passion and a heart for the Lord. So what we're going to do is, in a couple minutes, I'm going to bring him up here. And um, originally, we had this kind of highly structured thing that we were going to do this morning. And, and uh, after hearing him on Wednesday night, I really thought, you know, we probably ought to be a little more flexible um, and, and just kind of interact a little bit more. So this service is going to have some interaction. Uh, there's this nice, really huge whiteboard that I'm sure you all can see, because you all have 20-20 vision, um, that he's going to use to kind of show us what he does. Um, and um, I should provide just a brief kind of process background to what he does. And he shared a little bit with this, uh, about this on, on Wednesday night. But you think about how much goes into taking the gospel, the Bible, centered on Christ and grace and God's love for his people, and to bring it into a people group that is a, defined by a dialect or a, or a language or ethnicity that have never heard about Jesus before and don't have any written language. There are people groups that don't have any written language. They just speak it. It's a, it's a verbal or oral um, culture. All the things that have to happen to get them to have the Bible in their own language is huge. Um, everything from the Christian sitting in a church pew who hears the call of God and says, hey, I want to go to such and such a group, the tribe or, or clan, and I want to be a missionary to that, that place. Well, there's the call. Then he or she goes to that place and learns the language, and you know how long it takes to, to learn a language. It takes years. So you spend time learning the languages, especially to get the nuances of the language. It takes years. Then after they learn the language, then they have the huge responsibility, usually it's more than one person, but of of creating a written language. That is creating an alphabet and creating a structured language of verbs and nouns and adverbs and so forth. Everything that we have, they create. And then after they create the language, then they have the difficult task of translating the entire Bible into that new language. Now think about that. There's, you know, 66 books in the Bible. I mean, have any of you read through the Bible yet this year? I don't think so, because it's huge. So to translate... Um, into an unknown tongue that's just been created. The entirety of the Bible is huge. It takes decades. And then, so that, that's, a, that's a big process. And even once you have it written, then the people have to learn how to read. You have to teach them how to read a language that they didn't ever have before. Um, new alphabet and all that stuff. Just like basic, you know, phonics. And, and then once they learn how to read, then you have to take them another step further and you have to teach them how to interpret it and understand it. So that's a huge process, can take decades, indeed, perhaps even centuries to do. Meanwhile, if you wait until the people are trained and learn the language and have a Bible in their own language to tell them about the gospel, then it could be generations that die without ever hearing about Jesus. So Josh Drake is a part of an organization that is called One Story, where they take stories, um, simple stories, like from the Old Testament, some from the New with Christ at the center, and they bring these stories into these oral communities and tell the story about Jesus. And it's really cutting edge in terms of being able to communicate Christ up front so that they can hear about him in these stories. 
And so, and, and I should say that um, he's working on a master's in linguistics in Thailand. And um, I just I sat down at lunch with him. He's a volume of information. And, um, but anyway, he's been working on the project. He has done it himself, and he's training other people how to do it. So what we're going to do is, Josh, why don't you come on up here? And we thought that it would be good for him to actually show us what he does in bringing these stories um, for two reasons. One, you get to see what Josh does as a missionary. But also, I mean, you could use this in your approach as well. I mean, these are tools that you can use. So, Josh, I'm just glad you're here. And um, just interact when he asks for interaction, because this is, it, it could be really fun, or it could not be, so you just got to, <laughs> let, let me pray That's for up to you guys, not me, because I'm <laughs> exactly. always fun. No. Actually, any, anybody who comes up here with bare feet, I almost took my shoes off, and I thought, no, they don't want to see that. That's uh, not good. I think I, I might be taking the scripture a little bit too literally about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, so. Yeah, maybe. I, I didn't know you were a literalist. Just, I, yeah, oh. well, in this. <laughs> in this, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to pray for you in this time. Okay. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for bringing Josh here. Thanks for, th- thank you for the way you've uniquely worked in his life. Thank you for his passion for the gospel. Thank you for his passion for the Thai people and for the Chinese people. Thank you for his passion for the word, and we know it's your grace and your work, and we just want to sit back and watch and listen and be be reminded of how your grace works with the simplicity of the story of the gospel. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So just, I'm going to sit up here because I'm going to ask him questions afterwards. So it's all yours. All right. Well, some of you guys that were here on Wednesday, I, uh, I talked a little bit about, you know, the story of Isaiah and his call, his interesting call. And uh, this morning, I'm going to share two Bible stories with you guys, one from the old, one from the new, both of them giving true yet contrastive images of, of who God is. And I'm going to kind of track with how they're kind of connected in one, in one of the many ways. So the first one's going to be the story of Isaiah, his call from Isaiah uh, chapter 6. But before I get into that, I probably need to lay the foundation, set the stage. So we know that God, from the beginning, even, even uh, after Adam and Eve's fall, and we know later from Paul, before the creation of the world, had a plan of salvation. And, and he revealed it uh, progressively through, through the story that he was writing in creation. And to David, King David, he said that, you know, you will have a descendant who will be a king forever. And he started to develop this, this messianic hope of a coming king. And this hope kind of seemed to get a little bit shaky when the kingdom was divided. And there was kings that really didn't represent God that well here on earth. Now, one of the kings who had a shaky time, but also brought in a, a relative time of prosperity, was the king Uzziah. Now, um, the people of God flourished somewhat during his, his reign, but in the last couple of years of his reign, he actually offered a sacrifice to God in a way that was not in the way that he was supposed to, and he was cursed with a skin disease, with leprosy. <clears throat> And so he, uh, the last couple years of his life, he, he remained like this. And in the year he died, God called a man named Isaiah to be his spokesman, his prophet to God's people. And so I'd like to tell you his story quickly. <clears throat> now, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah received a vision from the Lord. Yahweh. And in this vision, Yahweh was high and lifted up on a throne, 
a, king, a, a seat of power and authority. And the hem of his royal robe filled the entire temple. Now above him, there were angels. Now these weren't just regular angels because they had six wings. And with two of the wings, they covered their face. And with two other wings, they humbly covered their feet and their body. And with the remaining two, they, they flew. And as they flew around, they called out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. No one is like you. The whole earth is filled with your fame, your majesty, your glory, your awesomeness. And as they called this out to each other, the very foundation shook. And the whole place was filled with this worshipful smoke. And when Isaiah saw this, he said, oh man, I'm in trouble. Because I am wrecked. I am ruined. I am an impure man with impure lips and I live among a people who are impure and have impure lips. Yet, I have seen the King, Yahweh the Almighty. And as he said this, one of the angels took a piece of burning hot coal from the altar of the Lord, brought it down and, he, and touched his lips and said, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. It's forgiven. And after this, <clears throat> God spoke and said, who shall we send? Who will go out on our behalf? And Isaiah responded, here I am. Send me. So God said, all right, go. And go and tell the people this. You may have eyes, but you're not going to really see and perceive you have ears, but you're not going to really understand. Go and make this people's heart hard and calloused. Make their ears so they don't hear well and make their eyes shut so they don't see. Because if they did hear and if they did see and understand and perceive what was going on, they'd repent and they'd receive healing. And to this, Isaiah responds, How long, O oh Lord? How long will it be like this? And God said, until the city is laid waste. And he goes on to paint a picture of just destruction and people being led out with only a remainder left. And kind of like a tree that was brought down by fire and all that left is a stump, he says that's what it's going to be like. But he doesn't end it completely bleak because out of this stump can become a seed for new life. Now, just a comment. That, that was kind of Isaiah's call to ministry. Not the most exciting call to ministry. And I, I sometimes ask myself, what, what kept him going, knowing that his ministry was in some ways going to be fruitless and actually have a hardening effect on the people? But I think this vision of the glory of the Lord was really the anchor to his soul during all, during all the hard times in his life. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Isaiah, among I think any of the other prophets, was able to articulate with such clarity the future hope of who the coming king, the Messiah, Jesus, would be. I mean, he went on to write prophecies that not only likened him to a coming king, but also 
a suffering servant that would be like a sheep led to the slaughter, but by his death would bring forgiveness and restoration between God's people and God. He also said that when this day comes, the blind will see and the lame will walk. Because God was faithful during this whole time to to not leave his people without guidance. And so he sent many prophets. Um, Another prophet actually referred to this coming king as, as this kind of divine being that was also man, which he called the son of man. And so this went on, and there was another man that came right before Jesus came, and his name was John. And he was another man that spent his whole life leading up to the promise, but not actually not being able to see it in its completion. But when he saw Jesus coming, he said, everybody check this out. This one is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the entire world. And as he lay in prison, waiting to be beheaded, and asking, you know, Jesus, are you really the one? Jesus, in responding to him, quotes Isaiah and says, the blind see and the lame walk. And I could actually share several stories about in the life of Jesus where he actually healed those who could not see and actually heal the lame and the paralyzed. And so we see people in the past looking forward to Jesus, but not fully getting the whole picture yet. You know, looking forward to the fruit, but here Jesus on the cross, he actually bears the fruit. He bears the punishment to bring the fruition of, of this promise and this restoration. But the, this, the second story I want to share with you guys is the story that many of us have probably heard in Sunday school. But, man, I, I just can't get enough of it. Because although Isaiah's vision of God was just so high and lifted up and just spiritual and, and awesome, this next picture of, of God is more fleshy. It's more incarnate. And we actually see what God is like in human flesh and how he interacts with the world. And so, one day, when Jesus was passing through a city on the way to another city, there was a man in this city, and he was actually in charge of the regional tax revenue. So he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich, which means he probably was corrupt. And he heard that Jesus was coming through the city, and so he wanted to go see Jesus. So he went out to go see Jesus, but there, there was this huge crowd. And he couldn't see over their heads because in addition to being rich and powerful, he was also pretty short, which I can relate to. Not the rich and powerful, but the short part. Um, and so he couldn't see over their heads. And so instead of give up, he, he saw that they were headed in this direction. And in that direction, there was this tree, and it was such a tree that the vines were low enough and, and strong enough that he could climb up it. It was a sycamore tree, to be exact. And so he ran up ahead, and he climbed up this tree. And he waited for the Lord to pass by. But as Jesus passed by, he didn't just keep going, but he stopped. He looked up, 
and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from there, because I'm going to go be a guest at your house today. And immediately, Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, filled with great joy. But not everybody was happy. Actually, the crowd around Jesus, they started to mumble and grumble and complain and say amongst themselves, what's going on? Why is Jesus going to go and be a guest with such a wicked, wretched man, this sinner? And to this, Zacchaeus, in front of everybody, said, you know, here and now, I give half of all I own to the poor. And if, if, I've cheated anybody out of their money. I'm going to give them four times the amount that I took. And then Jesus responded, Today, right now, rescue and restoration, salvation, have come to you and your entire house. You too now are a son of Abraham, a true person of the faith. You know, this is the very reason I came. I, the Son of Man, have come to seek out and to rescue those who are lost. And so, those are the two stories. And so, I share those with you as to show some sense of cohesion through the biblical narrative because as we create story sets, we pick a redemptive theme and we kind of connect the stories together. And in our ministry, you know, we can just share stories one-off when we meet people on the bus or in the market, and we might be able to, like, say the Zacchaeus story, ask them about a time in their life where, you know, there was a life-changing event, and what was that like? And then share the story of Zacchaeus, showing the nature of God. But then other times we, when we have a relationship to facilitate it, we have people come to our house, and we get together once or twice a week, and we take them through the biblical narrative story by story. And we don't just tell it to them, but we have them internalize it. Because with oral cultures, um, many of them can't read. Or they don't even have a la- or language written down. And so how can they hide God's word in their heart? How can they really internalize this stuff when they can't read it? And so one of the things which I'm just going to take us through really quickly is one of the many ways we help teach Bible stories in oral cultures. And so any of the teachers in here probably are familiar with different uh, learning avenues, different learning preferences. You know, you have like tactile, so people that like to touch things and learn, visual learners, auditory learners, kinesthetic learners, people that need to kind of move their body and and act stuff out. So we try to do stuff like that to uh, help people internalize the story. And so if we have a lot of kinesthetic learners, we'll actually do a little drum and act out the story. Visual learners will draw it. Auditory learners, we might just say it again and again, maybe put it into a song. Tactile learners, we have props. We might have them empty their pockets and we'll ascribe meaning to each of the little props. So, oh, here's a wallet. So this is, the, this is Zacchaeus. And we kind of just do a little puppet show with, with odds and ends. And this whole process, even though it can sometimes be silly, it can also be a lot of fun, is to help people hide God's word in their heart and help them to learn it in the way that they're most comfortable and most successful learning. So I'm a very visual learner, so I'm quickly just going to sketch the story of Zacchaeus so that all of us here, even though I think we're pretty familiar with it, can actually internalize it with, I think, a pretty high degree of accuracy. So just quickly, how did I start off the story? Anybody remember? 
passing, someone saying it? Jesus was passing through a city. And so I'm just going to draw three squares together with little triangles. So that's, that's a city. And so Jesus, I'm going to make him a, a J with a um, head. He's passing through a city. And in that city, there was a guy. What was this guy like? Anybody? Well, that's actually a lot of response. So I think I, that's awesome. I think you guys are more awake than the first service. Um, so I think, okay, he was rich. He was a tax collector, head of revenue. And later on, we find out that he was short, right? So let's just represent that with dollar signs um, and tax. Let's uh, maybe a piece of paper with money on it saying, like, you know, this is how much you owe. And then just a whole bunch of dollar signs above this really short guy. So this is Zacchaeus. This is maybe an average human. So <laughs> he might not have been that short, but when I actually I think of him, I think of someone like Danny DeVito, kind of, you know, just a grungy kind of like, ugh, guy. So anyways, so that's him. He's rich, chief tax collector, short. But he wanted to see Jesus, so let's just draw a little eye up here. Eye towards Jesus. So, but what was the problem? He was short, and so there was a big crowd, and there was Jesus, and then here was Danny DeVito. No. Though Zacchaeus, he could not see over him. And so what did he do? Did he just give up? No. He saw that in their general direction, there was this tree. I'm a great artist, as you know. And so he went, and he climbed up it. For the Lord he wanted to see. No. The power of story and song right there. Um, okay. So, as they were passing by, what happened? He stopped. Jesus stopped and saw Zacchaeus, right? So, I'm just going to draw a little stop sign. Oh, that's really ugly. Sorry. Stop sign. So, they stopped there. Jesus looks up and he calls to him. And sa- What does he say? He calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. Get down. Get, get, get down from there. Why? I'm going to be a guest at your house. So just very briefly, get down. Um, I'm going to be a guest at your house. So here's a little house. Here's some bread and drink. I'm going to be a guest at your house today. So what, what does Zacchaeus do? He immediately comes down, filled with joy. So exclamation point. Jumping out of the tree, maybe not jump, but climb. And his heart is very happy. Because in Thai, actually, they say happy, you actually just say heart happy. So, um, so anyway, so he's happy. But not everybody was happy. Well, how, how did the crowd respond? They grumbled and complained, saying, yeah, why is he going to be a guest at a house of such a sinner? Right? So they don't understand it. Here's Zacchaeus. He's just really, they're just like, ah, oh, he's awful. They don't understand why they're going, he's going to share a meal with them. But what was Zacchaeus' response? He's going to give half, so here's a circle, here's half, to the poor. And four times what he took. So here's, I'm just doing it. We usually go through this a little bit slower. but So here's a coin. He took it, but he's going to give back four times. All right? And then, when, then what was Jesus' final? What did, how did Jesus respond? 
What? Salvation has come to this household. So today, right now, salvation have, has come to this house, to you and your whole household. So that means like you and your family, maybe your, his servants or anybody else that lived in his house. So how should we represent salvation or rescue? S? What, what about without a letter? Is there like a, maybe an image we could paint? A cross. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Cross. How about, well, I don't have red, but a red cross, you know, like rescue. All right? So little cross. So salvation has come to your house because you are truly a son of Abraham, a person of, of the faith. And why? It's because Jesus, he says, I, the son of man. So remember the son of man coming on the cloud. So it's Jesus on a cloud has come to this earth. Why? To seek and save the lost. So here's binoculars. And here's the lost, a person with a blindfold on. Not a ninja turtle. Um, <laughs> okay. So anyways, you can see that even without using any written language, we can all have a lot of fun, hopefully, um, and actually internalize the Word of God through foolish means, <laughs> but ways that I think a lot of us, if we had time, and if, you know, on Wednesdays we'll go over this, I'm pretty sure that most of you guys now, even just hearing the story twice, would probably be able to retell this story with a lot of accuracy. And if you did screw up, I bet the people in here would let you know, <laughs> in a loving way, and help keep it, you know, accurate. It's not like the telephone game, because we're doing this in community, and, and the story is out there accurately among us, and we can, together, ensure its accuracy. So, anyways, that, that's one way that we, we do this, so, yeah. It's interesting, um, watching him do this the first service, and watching him do it at the second service, and um, it's my, my take on it was totally different. Um, I love the fact that you can communicate, with anybody, whether they can read or not, with images, and how that locks it away. Because I can, almost, maybe not every picture in there, but I can think of those pictures. But giving another person who can't read the ability to then retell because they can take it into their memory, mm -hmm. and what it would be like to be on, um, you talked about uh, the red light district on Wednesday, mm -hmm. and being able to communicate this kind of a story to a prostitute who is buried in shame mm -hmm. and the whole idea of Jesus stopping and saying you and then the joy of uh, an imprisoned heart hearing that God has mm -hmm. come to seek and save the lost yeah. would just you know you can see how the gospel would just sprout in the simple telling of the of the story mm. so I just I don't know so that's what hit me this, yeah. the second awesome. time was Good. I, I just really appreciate what you do, and it ties it to, to the Lord. You know, we live in a in a culture that is less and less propositional, which means we we people today um, who are growing up uh, aren't thinking in terms of linear arguments um, like former generations. Um, a lot of postmoderns think in terms of story or images or symbols, and so this this kind of communication of of the stories of redemption actually has tremendous um, influence or uh, relevance, I think, for us. And um, in light of that, I'm going to switch the questions I had in mind because okay. because I think the way I did it for service messed it up. Okay. Um, I, the the incarnational question is is the first question. He used the word incarnational, and I, I know that some of you who've been church for a while or or maybe a bit more educated have heard that word before. Incarnational 
ministry. Um, but that's, um, that's something that he used on Wednesday, and I thought maybe you could just elaborate a little bit of that, because there's a hu- it's huge relevance for how we go about doing the work of, of being the church to the world and reaching the lost, because um, some of the old methods don't work. Yeah. Um, incarnation, I think, comes from Spanish. Carnesada? No. No. Um. no it's my no, favorite no. burrito at Alberto's. Yeah, you know, so. and so, I mean... We saw how we know, we all know how awesome that is, and so any incarnational that means just awesome ministry. That's delicious. Um, no, now they'll and, never forget what incarnation means. You know yes, I mean? uh, incarnation. I mean, it's taking the model. I mean, we all know. You know, the word became flesh. God became a human. And uh, this incarnational means like basically becoming flesh, becoming human, and models it after after what God has done. And so. What this means when it's fleshed out, no pun intended, um, is, okay, so I say in Bible translation is, you know, instead of having this Bible up here and doing all this work apart from the church and saying, okay, come and get it. Anybody that has just the self-motivation to uh, put in years of hard work to be able to understand this, come. Or maybe in our relationships, all right, anybody that wants to know Jesus, come here, come to my church on Sunday. You know, just come. Do all the work that you need, ritual, driving, literacy. Come to God. Or incarnation or incarnational communication, especially if the gospel says, all right, the whole message and the whole idea of this thing is not that you have to come, but that God came in the person of Christ. And so, for translation, it says, okay, don't, you don't have to wait and do all these things to come. God and his gospel is going to come to you right now in the way that you can instantly access. So if that means oral stories, for those who can't read, that's what it means. Or maybe for, for us, instead of just telling people, come to our church meeting, we can go out as a church and meet their need and live life with them where they're at instead of trying to get them to where we're at. So... That's a bit of, I think, incarnational ministry, incarnational missions. Yeah. How would you, um, like, so our culture, this isn't fair to ask a guy who spent his time in Thailand and China about American culture, you know, um, because it's probably changed since you've been gone. But in terms of what that means for us is, like, in order for us to reach people, instead of having them try to think our thoughts or or speak our language, we, we meet them where they're at. And like he said, if it's a... If it's a different um, culture, um, and there are so many different subcultures in our own city, um, mm. that we actually do our best to meet them as close to their culture as possible, um, which is a reverse of saying, come to church. It's, it's like, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going to meet them. And it strikes me that there's something fundamentally loving about going and meeting the person where they are rather than saying, mm. hey, um, go through these hoops and maybe you'll be a Christian someday. Yeah. Um, that's what I just being really culturally sensitive and our culture's changing so much we really have to kind of have our eyes on that's one of the amazing things about Christianity is its ability to adapt through the through um, through the ages so that it could adapt its Hebrew way of thinking to the Greek way of thinking to the to the Latin way of thinking to the Roman way of thinking and and it's Christianity has been able to without changing its message adapt itself to the Jew, become a Jew to the Gentile the Gentile mm. and that's yeah. how Christianity won people meeting people where they are 
and I think as a pastor for, for all of you, it's like um, God has placed you in, on your street or in your apartment building mm-hmm. as his representative there. He didn't put Dan Deckard or Dan Overby. He put you there because you have been uniquely designed and called to be that incarnational ministry or Jesus to that, that person. And um, to realize that, okay, God, you put me here at this workplace, in this job, in this position, primarily for redemptive purposes, to meet people where they are. I think we'll, we'll see um, uh, people come to life in terms of, this is my ministry. My life mm-hmm. is my mission, rather than thinking that it all happens here at the church. So yeah. I really appreciated that incarnational point, which is then the second part to that is um, you hear them meeting someone in the culture where they are. But... but uh, and I wanted, uh, Josh, you to elaborate on this. He couldn't talk about this on Wednesday night because of time constraints. But that kind of raises a question. So do you go into an oral, oral culture that doesn't have a written language and spend the time learning the language, creating a language, written language, and then um, spending the decades translating the Bible and then trying to educate people? So what part does education play of, of trying to bring people so that they can actually understand God's word mm. for themselves? Yeah, I mean that's that's a great point, and that's something that I, yeah, I, I is really often misunderstood about oral Bible storying. It's because they think, oh, so you just dumb it down and you just that's it. They, this people group just gets a dumbed down Bible, and then you you just give a whole bunch of them. But really, no, it's not like that. It's all about the process and and reaching them where they're at, but not just leaving their, them there, but giving them a chance to grow. And so we might have a redemptive analogy that. You know, for animists that deal with um, oppression from the spiritual realm and have all these things, like they might have a redemptive theme of God's victory over over Satan by the cross. But we don't just leave it there because there's a incarnation engages people, but it's supposed to also cause them to grow. Because ultimately, no matter what culture we're in, we want to have Christians that are rooted and established in the full counsel of God. But there's more. At times, there's more relevant starting off points for each group. And so you don't go so incarnational that you completely dissect the gospel and only, and only focus on one little aspect. But you, you start somewhere, and then you broaden it, and you uh, mature them. And it's very much the same way with literacy and these stories. So they receive these set of stories, maybe 15 or 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever. And then this becomes um, the rough draft for future Bible translation. And the thing that I wasn't able to really mention, but a lot behind the scenes of all this, I mean, you're doing cultural research, you're doing linguistics, you're, you're trying to reduce their language to writing and then teach them to read it and find an acceptable way to represent it in written form. So at the end of a, a one-story project, <clears throat> you usually have a vast amount of linguistic research, with, which if you did it in traditional top-down approach, could take decades to collect. And you're really posed now in a great position to take these stories and then to do full Bible translation. Because you've already kind of found out what is a fairy tale way of telling a story and what is a real life way. If I would open the story saying, once upon a time there was a man named Isaiah, most of you guys would instinctively know, okay, this is a fairy tale. But if I said, you know, 2,000 years ago, this actually happened, then you know it's true. So that's one aspect in the, in the process. And there's a lot of times, too, where you might not have a church at first, but you'll, the Lord, through these stories, will rise up a church, and at the end, they're like, 
these are great 50 stories or so, but we want more. And you're like, well, this book, depending on how you dissect it, has about five to 800 stories in it. And the portions that aren't stories basically tell you the meaning of the stories. And so 80% of this is narrative and art. So they can go from translating these stories and then get actually the motivation to learn to read and to translate the entire thing. And, that, and that's really the goal because you want to have a real well-rounded believers that if they have the option, have the privilege of, of reading the Bible too if they have the capabilities. So. One of the reasons I asked that question is because we face the same struggles here. Um, how do you take somebody who comes in to the faith and they've heard maybe a message or some messages or heard a friend's testimony and they've come to Christ, but then how do we educate them and bring them to the place where their roots are deeply um, uh, into the soil of God's word and grace and so forth? And um, it's, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do in, in uh, the different cultures. Uh, it's not easy in our culture as well. Um, so it's a lot of work to be done. Um, the last um, thing I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I can't remember what it was now. It was oh, I know what it was. Yeah. Cool. Bluetooth. Yes, Bluetooth. Yep, that's right. It's Vulcan mind melting. Um, is, uh, <laughs> one of the things you shared on Wednesday night, which I just thought was very encouraging and should be encouraging to us all, is he just kind of told his own story of how he ended up in missions. And it really just started with him being involved. And he just started, and God led opportunity to opportunity to opportunity. And, um, and so could you just say a little bit maybe about yeah. that? Oh, no, that, I mean, that's just in my story. I think, um, I think Tony Tiemann's to blame for first asking me when I was a high school t student, do you want to come work with the junior hires? Um, and that's kind of where I started serving, really, at Parkway and then at High Life and Vision and with the worship team. And it kind of just grew from there. I just learned what it was to love my neighbor and to love God in this context. And eventually the Lord branched me out and sent me to go do that over there. And, I mean, I think it's a similar, the same story with all of the homegrown missionaries here, like Sean and Nicole and, and Gina and, and the like. They didn't just one day get really emotional during worship and said, okay, I haven't been doing anything, but now I, I want to go overseas. I mean, uh, Sean was actually, when I was in high school, he was a college staff. And, I, and he was ministering to me when I was in high school and we went to Hume and stuff. And so, I mean, it was, it was a gradual process and it was just, you know, loving God and loving your neighbor and seeing where that took them. And for some people that means overseas and cross-culturally and some, for other people it just says, God says, you know what, I want you to put down roots and I want you to be an enduring presence and witness where you're at. And both of them are awesome because, like I shared, after a while, you know, I, I haven't been overseas for decades, but about six years. And pretty soon you just wake up and it's like, this is life. These are my neighbors, my friends. And ministry is pretty much the same over there as it is here. I mean, different language and some other intricacies are different, but it's, it's loving God and loving your neighbor where you're at, where God has you. Yeah, there was. Uh, um, I just. I think I've shared this with bef with you before, but I, I feel like sometimes we're distracted by the maybes and the might bees, all which aren't where we are. And to recognize that, hey, the maybes and might bees, those are future. They're not where I am currently. But just to recognize, you're already where God wants you, and if you're just faithful there, he, He'll move you where you need to go. Yeah. So the challenge is just to love people where you are where your job is, uh, where your family is, where your neighbors are, that's, that's where God's placed you. You don't need to look for the might-bes or maybes. God will lead you in those things. Just be faithful to testify. And Actually, if I could just follow that up really quickly, just something that um, 
I really want to try to guard myself and, and all of us from is, is a missionary syndrome. And, and at times I've actually fallen prey to it where you always want to, you know, the grass is always greener or I guess transversely less reached or less green and you always want to keep going out there and you actually ignore the immediate context. And so you become so missions-minded you become no local good. And that doesn't change once you're over there. Because once you're over there, you're like, okay, well, this is nice, but there must be something that's even more gritty. And you just keep basically journeying and never settling down with where God has you. So, Yeah, living for the future and neglecting the now. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you students in here, professionals, and it's, God already has you there. Just be faithful where you're at. And, um, and this is one final thing before I pray for Josh um, is... I don't know if you noticed in the story, but um, it, was, it was there between Isaiah and Zacchaeus and the coming of Christ. Uh, and he mentioned this on, on Wednesday night too, and it was, it was encouraging to my heart. Um, the realization that Isaiah, when he was preaching, uh, was preaching to people God said would be deaf and, and dumb. In other words, he would never see in his own lifetime the success of his ministry or his call or the fruitfulness of it. And uh, Josh talked a little bit about that, but um, if you were to span or widen the lens and look over a course of a thousand years, you realize that Isaiah, through his call and through his writing, Mm -hmm. has reached millions, Mm -hmm. including a a young Ethiopian eunuch who was reading an Isaiah scroll, and God sent a disciple to tell him what it was about. And he came to faith because Isaiah was faithful, even though he never saw the fruit of it. And that, to me, is tremendously encouraging because sometimes, I I think perhaps most of the time, God hides hides success from us. From your life, you're going to go to work day after day, you're going to be at home, and you're going to think, how am I making a difference? I'm I'm praying for these people, I'm, I'm trying to reach out. You know what? You just need to recognize that God is going to bear fruit in your life. That's not, your, your job is not to bear fruit. It's simply to be faithful. Um, and someday, uh, you know, when God rolls the sky back like a scroll and we give, he gives us eyes to see, we're going to see that, you know what? God did do things in my life, and it did make a difference. The important thing is just to recognize, you know, God's going to do it, but just to maintain the simple faithfulness of I'm going to love people where I'm at, tangibly, with compassion, and when given an opportunity, I'm going to be myself, my own personality, with my own voice. I'm going to testify to what the Lord's done, what done in my life. And if you live by that simple approach of being faithful in the moment and the now, then you know what? God's going to do great things, and you don't have to be discouraged or encouraged by the, the success. You know, a lot of my opinion, a lot of what we see as success with our human eyes is probably going to burn up like chaff, when Jesus comes back. And a lot of what we haven't seen with our human eyes is going to come forth like gold and silver. So you just trust in the Lord and trust that he has things where he wants you. You just be faithful to him in the simple truths of loving people and testifying to Christ. And God's going to do great things. You want to add anything to that? No, that's awesome. Well, I, I just uh, appreciate you and your, your wife being here. I'm going to Go ahead and um, stand, and you can stay seated. I just want to pray for you, and then, then we'll close in worship. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the fact that you're the one who builds your kingdom and your church. Um, we simply are to respond to you and to be faithful 
And I thank you for Josh. I pray for encouragement for him. I pray for refreshment um, during the six months that he's here, that he would just sense your presence and you would just refuel his cells with new grace and new, new ideas. And he and his wife, Alicia, um, just bring renewal to their marriage, give them time, respite, space, just to laugh and have fun and enjoy each other and enjoy friends here, to enjoy the freedom, the rest, the downtime. And um, Lord, I just pray you continue to provide for them. We're thankful for his ministry. And we just uh, are thankful that you reign, you reign on high, that um, you are the master workman in this thing called creation redemption. And we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.